All right, John chapter number three. John chapter number three. I'm going to read. I'm going to read several verses here. I'm going to start in verse number ten. John 3, verse 10. Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master in Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you heavenly things, I'm sorry, if I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Today I want to bring to you a message entitled, To It Than That. There's more to it than that. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come to you again this evening in prayer, I just ask that I would communicate the truths of your word clearly. I'm coming at it from a little bit of a different angle. But I pray that I'll just be faithful to the text and the thoughts that are here. And I pray that you just guide my words, that I would say everything that I should and nothing that I should not. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of of you, I would say, are familiar with the fact that the United States fought in a war called World War II. But there's many layers to that that come to mind as you study it. And the more that you study it, the more layers that you find are there. And the more it means to you, the sacrifices of men and women who sacrificed in that war. Many of you are no doubt familiar with a battle called the Battle of the Bulge. During uh, the Battle of the Bulge, there was a, a general named General McAuliffe. Uh, he was the commanding officer of the 101st Airborne Division, and they were trapped in a town called Bastogne. They were cut off during the Battle of the Bulge. It was the last German offensive, and they had no real prospect of relief or rescue. It was a dire situation. We uh, air fly, We tried to fly in supplies to resupply these guys, but the fog was so heavy we couldn't get to them. And so it was up to them. They're by themselves, out there, all alone. And they couldn't get comms back. They had no idea that anybody was heading that way to rescue them. But they were told to hold the line. And in December of 1944, 
As they were surrounded and they realized their situation, the German command reached out to General McAuliffe and offered him terms of surrender. And if you're familiar with warfare, when you have terms of surrender, uh, you get to negotiate the conditions at which you are allowed to go free. And so there's a, there's a real risk that if you turn down terms of surrender, that you can be annihilated and the enemy will give you no quarter. Okay? They won't give you any mercy. And so sometimes it's smart <laughs> to take the terms of surrender. And General McAuliffe, having officially received these terms of surrender, they were given on, in typical military fashion, very orderly, and laid out on official letterhead. He responded to the German commander, nuts, we will not surrender. Now or ever, we're going to hold this line, and we're going to fight you to the bitter end. The German commander didn't understand, but they made it very clear, we're not surrendering. That story provides a layer, an outlook, more, a more deep perspective on the tenacity of those men that were willing to hold the line. There was a man also serving in the battle, on the lines, the front lines of the Battle of the Bulge. He was, his name was Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel, excuse me, Arthur Blair. And he was the commanding officer of the 268th Field Artillery Battalion. And at age 34, he wrote this letter to his parents, Mississippi, from the front lines of the Battle of the Bulge. It's dated December 24th, 1944. He says this, well, so this is Christmas Eve. I've spent a lot of lonely ones. Those when I've been away from you and Mary, but I've never spent one quite this lonely. And one in, in which the Christmas spirit seems so lacking in the surroundings. Even the first one of the war, when with Mary leaving the next day, was not so bad as this one. Then I had things to worry about and lots to do. But there, but here, everything has been done. The day, same day in, day out routine. All I have to think about is how much I miss you and Mary and Susie and what fun and how comfortable. And, and right now, if I were there, we would all be spending Christmas Eve and Christmas together. We will have turkey tomorrow. And some of the men have received Christmas packages that will be the extent of our Christmas. There is no peace around us, no peace in our hearts. The Christmas star is an airplane flare. The three wise men, where are they now? There's nothing here but anger in men's hearts. The wisest men are those who do the best job of killing the enemy while avoiding death themselves. The mangers are corrupt with dead and rotting cattle. And the village inns gape at the night through windowless, glassless windows and tileless roofs. The gifts of the Magi are steel and flame and high explosives. But deep in my heart, I know that peace will come again. And families will 
again be together. For God and his Son are watching over us and protecting us all as well as we will let them. So in hope of tomorrow and the peace that will come, dear Dad, And mom, Merry Christmas to you, and happy and peaceful new year. All my love, your son, Arthur. The next day, Christmas 1944, as he was wishing the officers and men of his battalion a Merry Christmas. A German shell hit and wounded several men and killed Lieutenant Colonel Arthur Walter Blair. He left behind a young wife and a three-year-old daughter. He was one of the 19,000 Americans killed in the Battle of the Bulge and one of thousands upon thousands and hundreds upon hundreds of thousands that have died for our nation and the ideals of freedom that it, was, that it represents. It provides a little more perspective on what people sacrificed. He could have gone on to raise his daughter, to love his wife, but he chose to be there, fighting to protect those things, the, those beautiful things that he had. The point is, the more, the more we understand about something, the more impactful it, it can be to us. The more you understand about World War II, the more you read about guys like Eugene Sludge and guys like uh, Lucky Lucky, Bob Lucky. The more you read about uh, guys like John Basilome, guys that were on the front lines and fought, the more you appreciate what they did, the sacrifices that they made. And I would say the same holds true for us, and that the more that we understand about the Word of God, the more meaningful it becomes to us. You know, we're not God, obviously, and so it's not possible for us to fully understand all of His being. It's not possible for us to understand his thoughts. However, it is paramount that people who want to be like Christ, we call ourselves Christians, means little Christ, to be like Christ, getting to know him as deeply as possible would be pretty important to that goal. The story of God redeeming man is the most profound window into whose God is, and therefore it is imperative that people, all people, Christians and those that are not saved, all people, explore all the aspects of the story to know the great God more deeply. What I want to leave here today with, this is the theme of what I'm trying to get us to see from this passage is the layers of God's love must be understood for salvation. 
It's imperative. You can't, how can they hear without a preacher? The Bible says in Romans. People don't understand. They don't just hear John 3.16 and boom, I'm good. I'm saved now. That's how it works. They must understand. The layers of God's love must be understood for salvation. And as one grows, the Holy Spirit reveals that there's more to it than even that. It's not just about salvation. It goes beyond that. And I want us to, through this passage, to dive into some of the layers that are here and try to understand more about this passage. And this is, this is what we need to be doing. We need to be here in, in, in hearing preaching. That's the purpose of preaching is to reveal these things to us so we understand more and we realize what a great debt that we owe to the Lord Jesus Christ. First layer that we want to look at, and this is, even Nicodemus understood this. Nicodemus had a great opportunity. He was a ruler of the Jews. The Jews were the ones that God had entrusted with the preservation of the Torah, the Old Testament law. He would have been very very familiar with it. And that had great advantage. Paul talks about that. What advantage does, does the Jew have? He says a lot. Because to them were given the oracles of God. They were given a lot. And Nicodemus had some layers of understanding. The layer of understanding that Nicodemus had, and the first layer we want to look at, is the layer of physical observation. Nicodemus had observed the miracles that Jesus did. He said there in the beginning of the passage, we didn't read that far back, but just to kind of give you the, the headlines, he said, no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Hey, I've seen the miracles. I've observed that layer. God must be with you. There's something there. But he didn't really have under any understanding of faith. He just lived by what he saw. His religion was dead works. To Nicodemus and to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and those that were the ruling class for the children of Israel. Religion was you bring a lamb, you sacrifice that lamb, and you do that whenever it's written in the law, you're supposed to do that. At, at the birth of your, uh, your, of your children, uh, at uh, some time when you sin, you come and offer an offering for a sin offering. Uh, you offer an offering at um, Passover, right? We do all these things. This, this, we're doing, 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 doing all these things. That was his religion. It was the law of God. I want to do that. That was it to him. That was it to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It was just a bunch of work, stuff that we did. Was that important for him to understand? Yeah, it was helpful. But not when it only goes that far. Contrast Nicodemus' understanding with that of Abraham. In Romans 4, verse 3, what did it say of Abraham? For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Abraham didn't look at a lamb and said, Oh, this is going to provide me with redemption. No. He said, God said that if I offer this sacrifice, he'll forgive my sin. He'll cover my sin. And I believe God. This lamb doesn't have any power. I'm obeying God. That's what has power. 
I have faith in what God said. I can't, I can't see God in heaven looking down at me and, and sacrificing this lamb and, and says, okay, Abraham, yep, you're going to, you're going to paradise because you're doing what I said. He couldn't see that, but he believed it by faith. But Nicodemus and the Pharisees, they, they just thought it was, hey, we just bring the lambs. It doesn't matter how, what your heart is like. It doesn't matter if you believe in God. Or, I mean, it does, you just do the thing. Right? And you see that over and over throughout, throughout Jesus' ministry. Where they're, you remember they're, they're selling animals to the people, right? And they're gouging people with the, with the prices. You couldn't bring your own lamb, right? Why? Because it doesn't matter. I can make some money off of this. It doesn't mean anything. It's just we're doing the sacrifices, so who cares? They forgot the God that they were supposed to be serving. The one that they were supposed to be believing in. And it just became stuff. Contrast them to Abel. It says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Abel offered the right sacrifice. By faith. He could have been like Cain and decided, oh no, it doesn't matter what God said. I can do whatever I want. I can sacrifice this fruit. Same thing. But it's not. Why? Because God said, do it this way. And I have faith in what God said. Cain said, I don't have faith in what God said because mine is good enough. The Pharisees and the Sadducees over here said, hey, I'm bringing the lamb. But who's God? I don't have to believe in him. It just became dead works. It just became what they could see. And they lost all the meaning and the pictures that it was trying to represent. You see this also by the fact that they rejected Jesus Christ. Why? Because they wanted a king. They didn't want someone to come and die. They didn't want somebody to go travel around and telling people a parables. They didn't want somebody that was going to come in and threaten their position of power. They wanted someone to come in and give them respect and move up through their ranks and then maybe take the headship and be the high priest. And then they would fight off Roman rule. That's what they wanted. We don't want no Messiah that's going to go around talking to poor people. We don't want that one. Why? Because it had all just become dead works, and they didn't care about what God said. Isaiah, they, they had Isaiah 53, did they not? Did they cut that part out? No, it was there. He hath no form nor beauty that we should desire him. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone from our own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. It pleased God to bruise him. That's not about the Messiah. They had all that, but they didn't want that Messiah. Guess what? The disciples didn't either. <laughs> okay? It's not everyone. Everyone was looking for the great king. Why? Because he's talked about like that in the Old Testament. But they missed a part of, of him fulfilling all the, the plan of God from the very beginning. So it all just became routine. 
and it all became about the physical. The way to God just became sacrifices and offerings. How about this? The Jews lived by faith. Nicodemus, I'm sorry. The Jews lived by sight. They just, they believed in what they saw. And this is no more clearly defined and illustrated than by the fact that the Jews sought a sign, right? And Jesus gave them plenty. But they were always seeking a sign. Show me, show me. But you have to receive salvation by faith. It's not all by sight. That's what Jesus is trying to get Nicodemus to see. So he uses the illustration of, of birth, physical birth. He says, you know, it's, it's like that, Nicodemus, but you've got to be born again. There's a physical birth, Nicodemus, but there's also a spiritual birth. And everyone has to be born again by faith. It's not just in what you can see, Nicodemus. There's more to it than that. There's something else. He tries to get him to understand through the illustration of the wind. He said, Nicodemus, you can't see the wind, but we know it's there. Because you can see the trees bend over. And you can put your finger in there and you can feel it. But you can't see it. Nicodemus, you don't just believe in things that you can see. You believe in things that you can't see as well. But for some reason, you won't believe that I'm the Messiah, that I've come to die, because you think that you have to see it first. He points out further to Nicodemus. He said, hey, you believe there is God, Nicodemus, but you've never gone to heaven and seen heaven. You haven't seen God. But the Son of Man, he's come down from heaven, and I'm standing right here, and I'm trying to get you to see, Nicodemus, that there's more to it than what you know. And then he uses the serpent on the pole. This is from Numbers 21, verses 5 to 9. The Bible says, And the people spake against God, And against Moses, wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. All right, hold on right there. There is no bread, but our soul loatheth this light bread. Okay, so there's bread. Okay, this is how we make that clear. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. Much people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he will take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed to the people, uh, I'm sorry, for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that uh, looketh upon it shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Children of Israel decided what God had provided was not good enough. They wanted something else. And no doubt there were people like that, that when the remedy was offered... Look at the serpent on the pole and be healed. That said, 
That's not good enough. May die. That's what he's saying to Nicodemus. Saying, Nicodemus, you don't want a Messiah that's going to die. You don't want this Messiah that's trying to save the sinner and and the one that, the outcast of society. You're trying to say that what is sent wasn't good, isn't good enough. But that's the only way you're going to be healed. As, sir, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I'm the only way, Nicodemus. The only thing Nicodemus understood was that there is judgment for rejecting God's plan. But he didn't understand and he didn't want to understand that there's only redemption from judgment by faith in what God said. So what Jesus is so desperately trying to get Nicodemus to understand is that there's a layer of spiritual conversion that's required. Nicodemus, you get the physical observations. That's great. You're familiar with the Old Testament. You're familiar with the Old Testament sacrifices. You're familiar about the, with, the, the, with the stories. That's great. But there's another layer to it, Nicodemus. And that's the layer of spiritual conversion. The miracles are only useful to demonstrate that Jesus was the Messiah. John 20, 30 to 31. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples which were not written in this book, but these are written. Why? So that you could just know that there's a God. No. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have faith, might have life through His name. It's not just stuff that you see, Nicodemus. It's not just the miracles that you see. The miracles point to The fact that Jesus Christ is God and you have to put your faith in Him for salvation. It's not what you're doing. It's not about the miracles, Nicodemus. It's about who I am. Nicodemus only heard the physical explanation of uh, being born the explanation that uh, the the explanation uh, he was re- repulsed by the explanation um, of spiritual life. He believed in what he saw. The reality is that every man is more than just a bag of bones. He's an eternal soul and a spirit that is dead in trespasses and sins and must be brought to life by faith in Christ. Must be born again. John 3 5 to 7 talks about that. It's also shown from the very beginning when God created Adam, He brought him up from the dust of the earth. His physical appearance was all there. But then what did it say? God breathed into him a living soul. There's something more, Nicodemus and what you can touch, what you can see. There's more to it than that. 
We already talked about the wind. He's trying to get them to understand that there are spiritual forces that affect what people do and what people say. Just like there's wind that you can't see, but we see the effects of it. There's a God in heaven, but you haven't seen him. And the only way to see him is by faith. For God is a spirit, and they that, uh, I'm sorry, well, how does that go? They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. There's more to it than that, Nicodemus. The brass on the, I'm sorry, the, the serpent of brass that was up on a pole. It doesn't mean anything, Nicodemus. It's not about the serpent. It's that God said that if you look at the serpent, you'll be healed. It's by faith in what God said that brings you healing, Nicodemus. In fact, if you remember, Hezekiah had to destroy that serpent because the children of Israel during his kingdom were worshiping the thing. They thought the serpent was God. This is, this is where this mindset goes, this, this mindset of everything tangible. Only things tangible matter. By the way, this is the going philosophy of modern psychology. Everything is, everything is meat and, and cells and bones, and that's it. It's all we are. And that's where this stuff leads. If, if, we're, all, if we're all just stuff, then we'll start worshiping and living for stuff. Right? And people, you know, they go mad. They go crazy. That's... That's not true. It's not reality. It's faith in the remedy that God provided. That's what provided salvation. That's what provided healing. They had to face the judgment. They had to face their judgment and recognize that, yes, I deserve this. I, I, I rebelled against God. He sent the, the, the serpents, and I got to look at that serpent and see myself for who I am and what I've done and the consequences of my sin. But if I'll do that, and by faith believe that God will heal me, I can be healed. That's what, that's what there is there, Nicodemus. It's, that's the point. This layer is imperative so that we can, somebody can be saved. You've got to understand that there's more to it than just the physical. There's a spiritual perspective that we must have. The last layer that I want us to think about today is, this is mostly for us that are born again, I want us to think about the layer of divine perspective. In verses 15 and 16, the Bible says, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Whosoever. Any person who has ever walked the face of the earth has a way to not perish, but have everlasting life. There was a way for Adam. There was a way for Cain. He rejected it. 
There was a way for Noah. And there was a way for Noah's generation. There was a way for Abraham and for all of Israel throughout the Old Testament. And that way was by faith in the commandment of God. There's a way for all mankind, just like for all of them. Yeah, there's different dispensations and there's different, the the law didn't come about until Moses, but it's always been salvation by faith in what God said. Throughout all of human history. God so loved the world. I want you to think about that. Why did God create mankind? When we get saved, the Bible says that we receive the adoption of sons. That's in uh, Galatians chapter 3. We receive the adoption of sons. God created man and women for fellowship. He wanted to have sons and daughters that did right. He wanted to have sons and daughters that would raise another generation to do what is right and prosper. He didn't, he didn't build them some dump of a place. He didn't have ill will toward them. He provided them the most beautiful thing, the most beautiful earth that God could come up with. He made it for them. And if you remember in the beginning, he walked around in the garden and he talked with Adam and Eve. And you remember when Adam sinned? God came and said, Adam, you've sinned! How dare you! No. Adam, where are you? Where are you at, son? Created you to do what's right. Nab all this. Remember when Cain killed his brother? He comes to Cain and he says, Why is your countenance fallen, Cain? What have you now done? You know, we can bring God great joy. We can bring him great pain, too. He said he he wanted sons and daughters. And those by faith turn to him. We get the adoption of sons and daughters. I can't think of a pain that's worse than raising your children to do what's right. And have all the opportunities of the blessings of God. And to see them turn from that and destroy themselves. That's a, that's a pain beyond anything that we can endure physically.
That's what God went through. He says he loved the world. And so when Adam sinned, what did he do? He was write him off. I'm done with him. No, he loved Adam. He said, okay, you've done this. We're going to provide a way. In Ephesians, it talks about the fact that Christ was slain from the foundation of the world. When Adam sinned, God said, okay, Adam, I love you. I'm going to make a way. It's not going to happen right now. Right now, you have, to, you have to kill animals and you have to bring sacrifices. And by faith, you have to trust that I have your best interest in mind and I love you. And I'm going to give you grace. And Cain and Abel, you're going to have to bring sacrifices and by faith believe in God. And I'm going to make a way for you. And Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Israel, I'm going to make a way for you. And of all the world, I'm going to make a way for you. He worked through people. He worked through the nation of Israel to tell the world, there's a way because God loves you. That's the perspective of God. That's the divine perspective. And he shares this with Nicodemus. He says, Nicodemus, there's more to it than what you know. God so loved the world that I, the Son of Man, am going to die and take the sin of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Seth and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the sins of the whole world on me. I'm the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Because God loved the world. When you see it from that perspective, you get to start to understand why it is that when Jesus looked on the multitudes, it says he was moved with compassion. Because he loved them. He he saw them corrupting their way and destroying themselves and choosing to sin and rebel against God. And he said, I have all this blessing for you. I have eternal life. Why are you rejecting it? I uh, sung here. I didn't sing it well because I couldn't get through it. But it's called, Isn't It Enough? The chorus is from the perspective of God saying, Isn't it enough? I sent my son. Isn't he enough, the Holy One? How could it be enough, the works that you could do? His blood's enough for me. Why isn't it enough for you? That's the perspective of God. God so loved the world. That he gave. He gave his only begotten son. He didn't say he is giving. He doesn't say I'm going to give him now. He said no, I gave him. All the way back when Adam sinned, I knew that there was going to be a whole world of people that I wanted to have as sons and daughters. So I gave him. 
And the eternal fate of all mankind rested on the singular, singular event of Christ's sacrifice. The blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. They were a temporary covering. Christ had to die for the sins of all mankind. If you remember, until Christ rose, where were all the Old Testament saints? In Sheol, the center of the earth. The story of rich man Lazarus provides us a little window into understanding of what was going on there. There was hell where the rich man, he lifted up his eyes in hell being in torment. And across the way, there was a great gulf fix. And who did he see? Abraham and Lazarus. And he called unto them. And what's it say when Christ rose from the grave? He said he opened up the graves and some of the Old Testament saints were walking around talking to people. Why? Because the lamb had been slain. Now man, sinful man, can stand in the presence of God. The plan had been fulfilled. Hadn't been fulfilled up until that point. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Just a few more things and I'm done. Understanding the event of the incarnation and the reality of its relation to the arc of history provides more meaning to passages like Jesus weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus and the rich young ruler, when the rich young ruler came to him and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, honor your father and mother, don't murder anybody, don't steal. All these things I've kept from my youth up, but like I yet, go and sell all you have and give it to the poor. And he went away sorrowful. But you remember when he came running up to Jesus, what did it say? He beheld him, he loved him. I want you to be my son, rich young ruler. I want you to repent of your sin, your covetousness. Get to understand that a little bit more. The love of God. When he, sees, when he saw people, he didn't just see people. He saw an eternal soul that he wanted for his son. He wanted to bless. He wanted to have in his kingdom. You can understand why Jesus' very direct repudiation of dead religion. You can start to understand why he went into the temple and flipped over the tables and he called the, the, the Pharisees hypocrites and whited walls and, and sepulchers, sepulchers full of dead man's bones. Why? They were dead religion. They should have understood. Nicodemus, you should have understood there's more to it than just animals and a sacrifice. It's faith in God. But they did it and they were telling everyone else, it's just about this. It's just this. Down here, it's about our power, it's about our prestige, it's about your animals, it's about the sacrifices. Believers, we have the greatest message to share with the world. But do we think like Christ? Do we look at people and see people that God wants to have in his kingdom, people that he died for? Or do we just see somebody that cut us off in traffic or annoyed us at work? or Somebody that, that's too great a sinner, and I, and I can't talk to them because they, they're a blasphemer, and I'm just, I'm just not going to 
到底要怎么样？ How much love do we have for people? God's love was beyond understanding. And the second thing I want us to understand is Nicodemus did become a son of God. You remember. But that wouldn't have happened if Jesus hadn't revealed these layers to him. Nicodemus wouldn't have understood if, if he hadn't explained it. We've got a big task. Are we faithful to, to tell people about the truth of the love of Christ? John 3.16 kind of has become a throwaway verse kind of in society because it's used so often. But it is the divine perspective of God through the ages. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 